Good afternoon. It is a joy and a blessing uh, that God has given us this time that we can come together to, to worship him, to open his word together. It's encouraging to have visitors with us. I want to w- welcome you. Uh, we do have some of our own number away. I know the Lowers are visiting family. Also, the Watsons were at a, a wedding in D.C. this past weekend. Uh, but it is certainly a blessing um, to be able to come together with God's people uh, and, and share in a study of his word. If your Bibles aren't already open to Matthew chapter 5, I ask that you'll turn them there now. Recently, uh, I've been able to do some uh, personal study on the Sermon on the Mount um, and and a study that I'm I'm teaching on Tuesdays. And I've just been really impressed and and more and more impacted by what Jesus teaches within this text. Uh, And so I hope, as it's been helpful to me, that, that I can share some of that encouragement, some of that exhortation with you today. Uh, the, the Sermon on the Mount stands in a very prominent position in Matthew's gospel. Um, it's really the first real example that Matthew gives us of Jesus's teaching as he begins his ministry. Uh, Matthew chapter 1 and 2, we see the, the birth narrative uh, of Jesus. Chapter 3, we see uh, his baptism. Chapter 4, we see his temptation in the wilderness and really the beginning of his ministry. And then we immediately launch into a three-chapter section focusing on what it was that Jesus was teaching. And and as we get into Matthew chapter 5, we've really only had two statements about what Jesus was teaching up until this point. If you look in chapter 4 and in verse 17... Chapter 4 and verse 17 of Matthew, it says, From that time Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven heaven is at hand. Then again in verse 23 of chapter 4, it says, And he went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. So we've gotten just a very small glimpse of what Jesus is teaching. He's teaching repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And we're also told he was proclaiming the gospel or the good news of the kingdom. Uh, There is good news. There's great blessedness in being able to be part of God's kingdom. The entire Old Testament is looking forward to this time of a coming king who will establish Uh, this kingdom of of spiritual prosperity and peace. But if we want to be prepared for that kingdom, we need to repent. We need to do some uh, heart changing, some life changing to be able to be part of that kingdom. And that's really what the entire Sermon on the Mount is about. The blessedness of the kingdom, the good news of the kingdom, and what it is that it requires of us if we want to be part of that kingdom. And that's exactly what we see in the very first verse of the Sermon on the Mount. And this is what I really want us to focus on today. Matthew chapter 5, verse 3, when Jesus opens his mouth and begins teaching, it says in verse 3, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. There's great blessing in being part of God's kingdom. But Jesus tells us from the very beginning, if we want to be part of that kingdom, if we want to inherit that kingdom, then we need to be poor in spirit. Now, that, that phrase may not astound us or, or seem as crazy to us as, 
as maybe it should, because we, we've probably heard that many times. Blessed are the poor in spirit. But, but I want you to pause for a second and think about that phrase. Um, you know, out of all of the things that Jesus could have said here, um, he starts with the idea of, of a poverty of spirit. When it comes to the spirit, when it comes to the inner man, what, what is the first word you would think of to describe the type of character God wants of you? You know, I might say rich in spirit, you know, full of, of spirit, strong in spirit, holy or pure of spirit, mature, wise, sincere or loving in spirit. Jesus says poor in spirit. That, that almost sounds like a bad thing, right? <laughs> Jesus wants me to be poor in spirit. But, but think about it this way. I, in, in our new house, we, we have a, a backyard with a hill. And now that it's spring, uh, it, it is starting to, to blossom and grow with all kinds of foliage back there. Uh, and it, it's a hill very rich with vegetation, uh, with a lot of, of plant life and greenery. But if I wanted to go plant some seeds for a vegetable garden, uh, the richest type of soil wouldn't be found in the midst of all that greenery. Um, I would look for a place cleared and empty of all plant life so that my seed would have room to grow. I think that's what we're talking about when we talk about poor in spirit. Uh, in the same way that the seed of the kingdom isn't going to find a welcome home in the spiritually satisfied. And the one who sees himself as rich, strong, wise, and full. The gospel of the kingdom is for those who recognize the fullness of their spiritual poverty. And are empty vessels ready for all that God wants to fill them with. And so I want us to ask ourselves today, does that describe me? Would I say I am poor in spirit. If I want to be part of Jesus's kingdom, then I need to be. But, but how do I identify whether or not I'm poor in spirit? What, what does that look like? How is that going to show itself in the way that I think and the way that I live? I, I want to look at, at three areas today uh, that will hopefully help us in considering uh, what, what it means, what it looks like to have this, this poverty of spirit so to speak. First of all, I think there needs to be a poverty of fulfillment in our lives. What, what do we mean by that? Well, I think sometimes we fail to be poor in spirit because we have become satisfied and complacent with lesser things. Earthly pleasures and comforts have, have crowded out and, and maybe masked over the depth of our need for the spiritual treasure and fulfillment that God alone can provide. Uh, perhaps we've become content with the passing pleasures of sin and fail to recognize the true emptiness of our souls. Later on in this same passage that, that Christopher read here in verse six, another one of these beatitudes, Jesus says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they shall be satisfied. God's looking for people who are not satisfied, <laughs> who are dissatisfied with what this world has to offer. God has a, a feast of spiritual nourishment to give us, 
and we need to show up to his banquet table with, with a healthy spiritual appetite. Um, sometimes we, we fill ourselves with spiritual junk food. Uh, we ruin our appetites. The, the, the lesser fulfillments that Satan has to offer us uh, ruin the hunger and thirst that we should be feeling for what God alone can give us, for his righteousness, for the nourishment uh, of his word, of his kingdom. As a result, we don't genuinely feel that hunger or that thirst for God's righteousness. We don't feel the poverty of our souls because we've distracted ourselves with other pursuits, other fleshly or worldly appetites. Later on in Matthew, Matthew chapter 13, you may remember the parable of the sower. And this really gets to the illustration that we started with um, of having room for the seed of the kingdom. In Matthew 13, do you remember the type of soil that, that was already filled with a lot of things? I, I guess you could say the rocky soil was filled with some things as well. But, but think about that, that thorny soil. Matthew 13, verse 22, Jesus says, for, uh, As for what was sown among the thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. You know, the more vegetation you already have growing in the soil of your heart, the less room you will have to allow the seed of God's word to properly grow. I, I want you to try to visualize in your own mind. Uh, create a mental picture of what the soil of your heart looks like. What do you see? Think about the, the different activities, the different priorities that, that battle for your time and attention from day to day and week to week. You know, and maybe some of those things are fruit that God is bearing through his word and through his spirit. But perhaps they're thorns. Perhaps they're weeds that are, are making the soil of your life look more like a jumbled mess than a well-cultivated field bearing fruit for the Lord. What would it take to clear out your heart and life to, to, point where the, to a point where the only greenery you saw were the seeds that God was planting there rather than things that you've allowed the world, Satan, your own selfish desires to plant there? What would that look like for you? We see an example of somebody who had this exact problem and Matthew chapter 19, if you'd like to turn with me there. Matthew chapter 19, you may remember the story of the rich young ruler. Um, as he comes to Jesus wanting to know, what, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? Uh, God, uh, Jesus tells him to, to keep the commandments. He says, which ones? I don't know why he asked that question, all of them. Uh, but Jesus Give some examples of some, king, uh, some commands that he needs to keep. And in verse 20, it says, The young man said to him, All these I have kept, what do I still lack? Jesus said to him, If you would be perfect, go, sell what you possess, and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come, follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. And Jesus said to his disciples, truly, I say to you, only with difficulty will a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it is easier 
for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Why is it that it's so difficult for the rich to enter the kingdom? What was the problem of this rich young ruler? Well, often the more treasure that we have here in this life, and it may not be wealth, it may be other things, but, but the more that, that we're comfortable, that we're content, that we uh, are, are thriving in a physical sense in this world, uh, the, the much more um, those weeds and those thorns are going to become a problem that we need to address. Much easier it is going to be for us to allow other things in this life to crowd out God's word, God's righteousness that we should be hungering and thirsting for. Uh, the much more we are going to be tempted to ruin our appetite on spiritual junk food, on lesser things. When, when you think about removing the weeds and thorns from your life, um, do you find yourself feeling a little like the rich young ruler? You know, I, I want to serve God. I want God to plant his seed within me. Uh, I want to be who he wants me to be. Uh, but w- within certain boundaries, within certain parameters. You know, imagine a gardener who went out to pull weeds, but each new weed that they encountered, they, they made some rationalization why it, it would really be okay to keep this particular weed in their garden. You know, actually, this weed, it, it looks kind of pretty. You know, I, I don't even know if I'd consider it a, a weed, really. Uh, it, it might actually be a ni- nice addition here. We'll, we'll, we'll leave that one. And, and this other one, you know, it's, it's so small. It's, it's not going to do that much damage. It's not really getting in the way. Um, you know, if, if it grows bigger, you know, next year, and it's still here, and it's causing more problems, may- maybe I'll pull it out then. Uh, and that other weed, you know, it's, it's just way too deeply rooted. Um, and, and I can pull it out, I can do my best, but it's going to be back next year. Uh, you know, I might as well not spend the time worrying about pulling that out. What's that garden going to look like? <laughs> and yet, how many times is that us? When God is coming into our life and he wants to do some major renovations, he recognizes things that we've allowed to crowd out our relationship with him. And he says, you want to have treasure in heaven? I'll tell you what you need to do. That thing right there, that, that needs to be removed. And he said, well... Don't, don't get me wrong, I want to serve you. But that thing right there, I, I really don't think it's necessary for me to remove it. But that's not poor in spirit. Being poor in spirit um, recognizes the fullness of how much we need God to come in and do some major renovation. But Because the fact is, really, we are poor in spirit, whether we recognize it or not. You know, I may look at that soil and say, hey, look at all this greenery. But it's not doing any good. It's not bearing fruit for the Lord. What God wants me to do is acknowledge the truth of my spiritual poverty. To the extent that I allow him to come in and do the work that he alone is able to do. I think about Revelation chapter 3. You may remember what Jesus here says to the church in Laodicea. Revelation chapter 3. We'll start in verse 15 here. He says to the church, uh, verse 15 of Revelation 3, 
I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. Would that you were cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. For you say, I am rich and I have prospered and I need nothing. Not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich and white garments so that you may clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen and salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. So be zealous and repent. Brethren, is that us? Are we deceiving ourselves into thinking that, well, we're doing pretty well spiritually. But because like the rich young ruler, uh, we're, we're checking most of the boxes, obeying most of the commands, we're going through the motions. When really, we're wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. Because we haven't been willing to fully empty ourselves before the Lord so that he could fill us up. Brethren, I'm afraid that sometimes that's me. Um, I, I want to grow spiritually, and, I, and yet I've set certain parameters on what I am and am not willing to give up or change. I, I'm basically saying to God, okay, God, this, this is who I am. This is what I want my life to look like. Uh, and so, do you think you can work with that? That's not how it works. We, we don't set parameters for God. What, what the truly poor in spirit, step one to being part of the kingdom, is falling before God, recognizing that, that we are poor, that we are empty. I'm praying, God, God, I want to be whoever you want me to be to change however you want me to change. And there is nothing that I'm not willing to give up, nothing that I'm not willing to change to allow you to mold me and transform me into who you want me to be. So brethren, we need to stop being satisfied with lesser things. We need to hunger and thirst for God's righteousness. We need to recognize the true poverty of our souls so that he can make us rich, so that he can make us full. Uh, so that he can bear the fruit of his spirit and of his word fully within our lives. But along with that idea, I think being poor in spirit also uh, involves a poverty of strength. Because sometimes we fail to be poor in spirit, not because we're distracted by other desires or priorities necessarily, but simply because we have a higher estimation of how well we're doing spiritually than God does. We deceive ourselves into thinking that spiritual growth and spiritual strength is something that, that we have achieved and we've reached a point where we no longer need to rely quite so heavily upon God's strength as we did at first. Is that our picture of what spiritual growth is? That, that we just kind of, we, we reach a point where we, we don't have to go to God quite as much for help? You know, the picture of our relationship uh, with, with Jesus is not primarily, uh, you know, a picture of me being a baby bird and, you know, once I get nourished and once I get strong enough, then I can just kind of fly the coop and, and be out on my own and now I can be independent and, and do much better. The picture of my relationship with Jesus is me being a sheep and him being the shepherd. 
right? And, and the sheep that's doing really well and is really strong isn't getting to a point where it can be independent and go out and venture into the wilderness on its own. No, that sheep needs the shepherd at the very end of its life just as much as it needed the shepherd in day one. And so when we think about being poor in spirit, it's an acknowledgement of how much we need to rely on the Lord today and the next day and the next year for the rest of our lives. Being spiritually strong is only about going to God for strength. And we need to recognize that. Look with me in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9 and 10. Remember, Paul is struggling here with some physical limitations, what he calls a thorn in the flesh. And he feels like if God removes this, he'd, he'd just be so much more equipped to do God's work. That God would be more glorified in what Paul would be capable of doing if this thorn in the flesh was not in his way. But you see what God says to him? 2 Corinthians chapter 12, starting in verse 9, it says, But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. God didn't want Paul to get to a point where he was just strong enough to do things on his own. <laughs> no, God wanted Paul to be weak. Why? Because that's where true spiritual strength comes from. It's from recognizing our weakness and relying all the more heavily upon the Lord. That's where power, that's where strength is. When we are weak and we recognize it and we acknowledge it, then and only then, uh, do we see the clear pathway to spiritual strength, which is reliance, full reliance upon the Lord. It's a dangerous place to be when we start thinking that we're doing pretty good. When we think that, that we're, we've gotten to a point of spiritual maturity, of spiritual strength, where we can handle some things uh, better than, than uh, we have before. Look in 1 uh, Corinthians chapter 10. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12 and 13. Verse 12, Paul warns us, he says, Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. No temptation is overtaking you that is not common to man. God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Brethren, when we think that we stand, um, we have a confidence in our own spiritual strength, strength and growth. That is not a good place to be. Paul says that's a dangerous place to be. Uh, it's where we are often most vulnerable to Satan's attacks. And you notice that God's prescription for dealing with Satan's attacks is not to strengthen the resolve of our own faithfulness, but to turn our attention towards the faithfulness of God. And his prescription here is, is not to uh, here emphasize our ability to fight, but rather our ability to flee. That's where spiritual strength is. Trusting in God's faithfulness to give us the way of escape. 
When our own spiritual strength is our focus, we may end up exposing ourselves to Satan's attacks in ways that God never intended for us to. Where, where Jesus says, cut off your hand if it causes you to sin, pluck out your eye if it causes you to sin, we, we think, well, I think I'm doing well enough spiritually. I, I don't need to be quite that radical in, in how I handle these temptations. Uh, you know, maybe some people need to do that, but, but I, I'm doing pretty good. When Jesus says to, to flee temptation, we may end up lingering a little bit longer, uh, thinking, well, it doesn't affect me the, the same way that, that it might affect other people. But if we're truly poor in spirit, brethren, we will not hesitate to take every measure possible to fortify ourselves in God's strength. Look with me in Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6. Look at God's description of spiritual strength here. Ephesians 6, starting in verse 10. We read, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all, to stand firm. And having done all to stand firm. Strength in the Lord is not reaching some point where fighting temptation is just effortless, you know, and comes natural and is easy. No, being strong in the Lord um, is us uh, day by day doing everything to stand for us day by day, putting on the whole armor of God. We're never going to get to some point where we can just kind of turn on autopilot and drift and just naturally be who God wants us to be. And if that's our picture of what spiritual maturity is, if that's our picture of spiritual strength, then we need to do some serious taking heed because that's not God's prescription. God says spiritual strength comes from putting our full strength, not in ourselves, but in him. You know, can, can you imagine uh, an experienced skydiver who just got so comfortable uh, with getting a, a safe landing every time he jumped that he got to a point where he just decided, you know, I, I don't think I need the parachute. It doesn't work that way. It doesn't matter how experienced you are, how strong you are, of course you need the equipment. Brethren, when it comes to our spiritual fight, we are never going to reach a point where we do not desperately need God's strength and God's help. And true spiritual strength comes from recognizing that, recognizing it deeply, moment by moment, day by day, and putting our strength in him. Does that describe us? The truly poor in spirit will not hesitate to confess their sins and struggles so that they can take advantage of the strength that God has provided through the brethren around them. The truly poor in spirit will not hesitate to make radical sacrifices to flee temptation when they see Satan has found a foothold in their hearts. That needs to be us. True spiritual strength is found in weakness. 
is found in the poor in spirit. But closely related with that, we need a poverty of spiritual wisdom. Sometimes we fail to be poor in spirit, not so much because we overestimate our spiritual strength, but perhaps because we rely too heavily on our own spiritual wisdom. Look with me in Proverbs chapter 3. Proverbs chapter 3. I'm going to read verse 5 through 8 here. Proverbs 3, starting in verse 5, says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make you straight your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. Be not wise in your own eyes. Do you consider yourself wise? How much do you trust your own abilities to discern good and evil, to make good choices, to direct your own path in life? If we aren't careful, it's easy to reach a point in our spiritual walk where we feel like we have most things in life pretty well figured out. Uh, we may need some direction here and there, but, but we're pretty confident in most decisions that we know the next step to take. That's a dangerous place to be. God tells us, in all your ways, acknowledge him. And he will make your straight your paths. We, we don't reach a point spiritually where we, you know, we've gotten so accustomed to what it is that we need to be doing that we no longer need to check in with the Lord. <laughs> that we no longer need to acknowledge him in our ways. You know, have you ever found yourself in a situation where, where you were performing a task that you weren't very familiar with in the presence of an expert? I, I imagine myself, you know, trying to make a pie in the presence of my grandmother. You know, what, how am I going to handle that situation? <laughs> you know, every little thing I would be saying, okay, is this the right amount? Is that what I'm supposed to put in? I, am I using the right utensil here? Is, is, is this the right technique? How long would you leave it in the oven, right? Because I recognize very painfully so. I, I don't know. I don't have the wisdom. And she does. Brethren, there is such a gap between the wisdom of Almighty God, creator of the universe, and you and I, that that is always how it needs to be. We're never going to get to a point where we've kind of graduated and, and now I can take care of these tasks on my own. No, what God wants from us is in all our ways, every step, every decision, acknowledging him. Is, is this the right step? Is, is this how I'm supposed to handle things? We need a poverty of spirit, a poverty of spiritual wisdom that is constantly looking to him. Jeremiah chapter 10, verse 23 and 24 um, is one of my favorite prayers in the Bible. Um, Jeremiah says in Jeremiah 10, 23, I know, O Lord, that the way of man is not in himself, that it is not in man who walks to direct his steps. Correct me, O Lord, but in justice, not in your anger, lest you bring me to nothing. 
Brother, that prayer needs to resonate with us and resonate deeply. That is what being poor in spirit looks like. Lord, I don't know the way to go. I can't direct even one step myself. It's not within me to direct my own steps. And I know that when I do and where I have, I failed. So I need you to correct me. I need you to show me where I'm wrong. You know, sometimes the last thing that we want is correction. The last thing that we want is is reproof. I don't want to hear, I I got that figured out. I'll be okay on my own. I can figure this out. If we're poor in spirit, we recognize day by day and moment by moment how much we need the correction of God's word. We don't have things figured out. We don't know what we need. We don't know the next step. And if we think we do, we're in a dangerous place. You know, one thing that I've noticed uh, in, in working with struggling people, and I notice this in myself as well, is often when we're struggling with something, we're very quick to say what the problem is not, right? You know, it's, it's not that I don't have faith. It's not that I don't love the Lord. Uh, it's not that I'm not trying hard enough. You know, it, it's not that you, you can't tell me anything from the scripture that I don't already know. What I've realized in myself um, and in others is that when we make statements like that, it's usually an indication that that's probably exactly what we need. Because what we end up expressing is, God, I want you to help me with this. I know I need help with this, but, but don't worry about that section of my heart. I, I got that covered. That may be the exact section that we need him to come in and do some major renovation in. And so true spiritual poverty, being poor in spirit, um, is recognizing, God, I don't know exactly what I need. And I may think I have this thing figured out. I may think I have that figured out. But Lord, if that's exactly what I need to change, show it to me. Correct me. Help me to see more clearly uh, what the next step is. We need to make sure that we're not somehow setting parameters on what God can and cannot change in our lives. Um, Can you imagine going to a doctor with that attitude? You know, I have this really serious problem that I'm struggling with, uh, but I'm telling you right now, I I don't need medication. uh, And I'm too scared to go through surgery and and don't expect me to change my diet. Um, So what are you going to do to help? (laughs) Is that how we approach the Lord? Um, We need to make sure that we come to God with a complete openness to whatever it is that he and his wisdom knows that we need to change. And we need the spiritual emptiness to allow him to make those changes. Being truly poor in spirit means coming to God empty, open to whatever changes he needs to make. Is that us? How poor are you today? How empty are you? Empty of earthly fulfillments and priorities? Empty of any confidence in your own strength or maturity? Empty of any parameters within which you will allow God to operate within your life? How fully are you willing to surrender to God's plan for your life?
so that God's wisdom and strength can work within your life the way that he intends for it to. Um, I, I want to pause a moment to pray together, if you will, bow with me. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, we come before you uh, with a, a deep recognition of our own poverty. Lord, we don't have the strength, we don't have the wisdom on our own, um, we recognize that it's not within us to direct our own steps. And Lord, we recognize that as you uh, seek to bear the fruit of your spirit within us, there may be very difficult changes that we need to make. Uh, there may be things that areas of our heart, areas of our life that, that we have been uh, keeping you out of that we need to let you into. And we ask that you give us the strength to do so that you'll help us to be completely moldable within your hands um, and that you will form our character, form our attitudes, form our hearts and our lives in every aspect into what you desire for them to be. Lord, give us strength in that. Um, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for your patience with us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. There may be somebody here today who recognizes um, that they have not come to God with a poverty of spirit. Um, maybe you've been relying on your own wisdom, your own strength. Maybe you've been filling your life with other things that have crowded God out. If you need to make some change today, uh, won't you do that now? Won't you allow God to work in your heart and your life the way that, that he only can and if you need to reach out to the brethren here for help in that, God designed the body, the flock, to support one another in that. If, if you have some area of your life that you're struggling with it, that you need to ask for the prayers of these brethren, ask for the support of these brethren, uh, we want to offer you that opportunity. And if you've never surrendered your life to the Lord, if, if, if you recognize the poverty of your spirit because you haven't come to him for cleansing, you haven't come to him to bury your old life in the waters of baptism, be raised in a new, pure, and holy life by his grace. You can do that today. That's what God wants for you. If there's any way that we can help you in your relationship with the Lord, won't you make that known at this time by coming to the front as we stand and sing?